You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're in the fourth week of our series where we're going verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount. If you're new to Rev Church, maybe you're joining us online for the first time. What we like to do about 90, 95% of the time is go verse by verse uh, through entire books of the Bibles or like this series, large sections of Scripture that really do go together. I heard about a husband and a wife that had been married about 25 years. They had several kids and the kids had grown up and they had moved out. And so they decided to downgrade their house and sell their big house that they had and get something smaller. And the husband was in the attic one day uh, going through some stuff and found a box that had some interesting contents. Uh, There were three neck caps in the box and about $50,000 in cash. And of course, he was excited when he found the $50,000. So he went to his wife and said, what in the world is all this? There's, I found this box with three neck caps in it and $50,000. That's why I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's mine. Every time over the last 25 years since we've been married, every time you would make me mad, I would knit a cap. He said, wow, I've only made you mad three times. You've only knit three caps. That's all. That's pretty good. She said, oh, no, I did way more than that. The $50,000 was for the ones that I've sold. Anger, right? My wife gets angry at me for several reasons, like all husbands. And I'll just tell you, it doesn't help if your wife is shorter than you. And you look at her and say, I thought you'd be more down to earth than me. You know what I mean? Why are you getting so upset? Don't do that. It's Father's Day, y'all. Come on now. I got one more joke. Y'all want to hear it? Y'all want to hear it? It's Father's Day, so I'm going to tell it. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but... If the Coca-Cola bear had random anger fits, he'd be a bipolar bear. Y'all know that? Like, I'm sorry. They just get worse. Fourth week of Sermon on the Mount. And as we told you last week and really set this series up with the things that Jesus preceded uh, these next six weeks with, there's really a sermon inside the Sermon on the Mount here. We're starting today with the first of what's known as the six great antitheses that Jesus gives. The antithesis you've heard before being the idea that Jesus says, you've heard it this way, but I say to you. And today we're going to focus on anger. What really does it mean when the Bible says don't murder? And how's that tied to our anger? And then at the end of this passage, the last three verses, we're going to take a look at the antidote for anger, which is reconciliation. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21, and we're going to go all the way to verse 26. So let's go ahead and kick it off. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Verse 21 says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So first off, Jesus starts with what the people thought murder was. And he quotes Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. And he goes through this this idea that everyone has, whoever commits murder is subject to judgment. And the idea was at the time that if you committed murder, the physical act of taking someone's life, you would stand trial. And if you were found guilty, you would be sentenced to death. 
Now, in this opening verse, Jesus is identifying something, and the verses after this, he's going to clarify something. The opening verse identifies that the people thought that murder was a civil issue. It's something that the state or the government or the officials were to be over. Jesus is going to clarify and make sure that we understand no murder is an issue of the heart. He continues in verse 22, and he says this, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Man, he's coming out of the gate shooting on this. Now he starts to explain what murder actually is. And Jesus starts to unpack this idea that he's not just concerned with the physical murderous acts, but he's also just as concerned with murderous attitudes. He gives us three categories in these next verses, and notice as he goes through each category, all three, the punishment gets more severe and more severe and more severe. First category, Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother or sister, you're subject to judgment. Now, you would think that the word for angry here would be where we get the word thermostat, which is the Greek word thermos, which means someone with a bad temper that blows up. But it's a different word for angry that's used. It's the Greek word orgizo. And what orgizo means is to be irritated or to have a slow, seething anger. So understand this. We can all relate to this. Jesus is not just speaking to the people that are in a 10-step program that keep punching holes in walls. Okay, He's talking to all of us and how even if we have a little bit of anger on the inside, it can cause all kinds of horrible consequences in our lives. Now, let's just be honest about this. If you did a concordance search or got on Google and said, what does the Bible say about anger? Uh, you might get confused about what Jesus says here because when you read the totality of Scripture, sometimes in the Bible, it seemingly encourages us to be angry. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, in your anger, do not sin. So in other words, it's not sinful to be angry. Just don't let your anger allow you to sin. James chapter 1, we just went through the book of James verse by verse before the Sermon on the Mount. It says, be slow to become angry. It doesn't say don't become angry, but be slow to become angry. There is a form of anger that we define as righteous indignation. As the theologian Martin Luther would put it, an anger of love. And quite honestly, sometimes anger can lead to good things. Almost every Christian ministry around the world that has been started was started because someone got fed up with an injustice that was taking place. I'm tired of seeing children starve, so I'm going to start this ministry that is going to seek to rectify this because that will be God's justice. So sometimes anger is a good thing. We even know that God gets angry and God can't sin, so it's not that always anger is sin. It's just that anger can lead to sin. See, more often than not, when you study anger in Scripture, it gives stern warnings or commands to be very careful with your anger. In fact, the two passages that I just quoted to you, the book of Ephesians chapter 4, listen to it in the context. 
in your anger do not sin, but then it goes on and says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Listen how strong that is. If you allow the emotion of anger to control you, then you are giving Satan power in your life to control you as well. James chapter 1, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And then I just quoted this, slow to become angry. Listen to what it says. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Listen to a few few other verses. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Don't let your spirit rush to become angry, for anger resides in the heart of fools. Now, Jesus just said, don't call people fools. Okay, and really that's not what he said. We'll talk about that, what he really meant. But here he's saying, if you're quick to become angry, you're a fool. Colossians 3, 8. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Psalm 37, the Hebrew poetry has tons of warnings about anger. Uh, Verse 8, refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Proverbs 22, 24, don't make friends with an angry person and don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it back. I just get my anger out there. It doesn't hurt nothing. No, it's like a shotgun blast causes all kinds of damage and spreads everywhere. You're being foolish if you think you can go home and just treat your husband however you want, your wife however you want, your kids however you want. You're an exploder. You just let it out whenever you want, and you think, I'm just going to tell them what it is, and I don't care what they say, and I don't care if I'm in the Walmart line. I'm just going to be who I am. That is foolish. Look at your neighbor. No, don't do that. Okay. Jesus in this passage is moving from the outward act that most likely no one that was listening to this sermon had committed, and he moves to talking about an inward attitude that went deeper. If I was to poll everybody at Revolution Church, everybody watching online and say, hey, have you ever committed the physical act of taking someone's life? Almost everyone in here, hopefully everybody in here, it's Rev Church, I don't know, but like everybody in here would probably say, no, I've never done that. And so the people that were listening to the sermon were just like that, and they had this proclivity to think, well, I didn't murder anybody. I've never been to jail. I've never been judged for that. They've never almost killed me. I've never even been on trial for it. But Jesus comes in and he says, no, no, no. It's about the inward attitude that goes deeper, and everyone can relate to that. Every single one of us can relate to it. Jesus is pointing out that there is a chain reaction when it comes to murder. And there's attitudes and there's thoughts and there's emotions that leads people to commit murder. In other words, the physical act of murder always starts with anger on the inside. You know, in our culture today, we've become numb to mass shootings. I remember 20, 30 years ago when we would hear about a mass shooting, the whole nation would mourn for days, sometimes even weeks, flags at half staff. It was horrible, but now we hear about it. It just goes in one ear and out the other because there's so many of them. And isn't it interesting that in our culture, the conversation doesn't really stay on talking about mass shootings. It goes to a conversation about mental health. This phrase that's really popped up in the last 10 or 20 years. In other words, people are saying, and we all understand that a mass shooter 
doesn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to go shoot a bunch of people. There's something inside them that's deeper that causes this to snowball and get to a place where they go do this. This is one of the things that Jesus is pointing out, that whatever begins with anger ends in shame. The second category he gives us is he says, if you say raka to your brother or sister, you will answer to the court. Everybody say raka. Raka. Look at your neighbor and say, Raka. You just sinned. I'm just kidding. So, but it's uh y'all say Raka all the time, right? We know what Raka means. You're posting it up on social media, Raka this and Raka that. We don't really understand this, so let me explain it to you. The word Raka could be translated empty-headed, stupid, or inferior, or a better translation is to show contempt for one's intellect. Any insult verbally that you give that shows contempt for someone's intellect. How you doing with that? How you doing with those people that vote different than you vote? Are you thinking in your head? Are you saying with your mouth, those idiots? How can they support the other team's agenda? Don't they see what it's causing? How you doing when you're driving? That's always one, isn't it? Glad I don't struggle with it. If you ever see me out struggling with it, just pray for me, okay, y'all? I ain't perfect. Pastors ain't perfect, okay? See, like, I just, like, we got to understand this, okay, y'all? We got to have a talk, Crossville, okay? Crossville, listen, okay? If there's two lanes on a highway, the slow people stay in the right lane. The people that are trying to get somewhere go in the left lane. We all understand this. Everybody say amen. Okay? Get out of the... See, I'm struggling right now. What's wrong with me? Rock off! What's this idiot think he's doing? How can this moron just pull out right in front of me? Their taillights aren't working on their trailer. What's wrong with them? I hope they get pulled over. You might know what I'm talking about? What's wrong with us, man? You'll go home after worshiping Jesus today, hearing a sermon on anger, and you'll be in your car thinking in your head, the person in front of you driving is a moron, is a total idiot. Raka. You, you see? <laughs> you better be careful. You better be careful. One person said that if you let anger control your speech, you're going to make the best speech you will ever regret. Third category he gives is even more severe. Look what he says. He says, if you call someone you fool, you're in danger of the fire of hell. Now we hear you fool and we don't think that's very serious, but it's not a real accurate translation. You fool comes from the Greek word moros, which is where we get the word moron. And it's much more severe than just calling someone an idiot or a fool. This is a word that is used in Scripture to describe those who don't belong to the kingdom of God. In other words, it's a word to describe lost people. In other words, if Raka called someone's intellect into question, Moros calls someone's very character into question. It's when you look at a brother or sister that knows Jesus and is saved, 
and you cursed them to hell. You questioned their salvation. You're not the judge to do that. When you do that, Jesus says you're in danger of the fires of hell. When you show contempt for someone's character and verbally say it out loud. Jesus is making clear that God, and and we may say this every single week as we go through this series, because as you're going to see in these antitheses, this is really the theme. God is not just concerned with your external acts, in this case, murder. He is concerned also about the condition of your heart. Mark chapter 7, listen to what Jesus says that ties right into this. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So Jesus is like, look, this is not just about showing outward aggression. If I was to ask everybody in here, when was the last time you kicked something because you hit your shin on it or punched a hole in the wall? You've probably done it at some point, but probably not in the last week. But boy, when we talk about this inward aggression, thoughts about other people, more specifically what Jesus is speaking to is the verbal aggression. We can probably all relate to that in the last 24 hours. He says this is just as important. The question today is, are you glorifying God? Because Jesus is saying, don't just avoid sinful actions. Avoid sinful attitudes. Jesus is saying anger is always more destructive for you than the person you're angry at. Underneath the surface is where sin starts, and it never starts with outward actions. It always starts on the inside. Jesus is pointing out that the behavior of God's people should not be just dictated to by command, but by the very character of God. And this is why Jesus says, you've heard it said, the command. Let me go a little further with this and explain to you what the character of God demands, what grace demands. Then in the next couple of verses, he gives us the antidote for anger, and that is reconciliation. So let's read verse uh, 23. Let's start there. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. He says, therefore, if you are offering, therefore means it directly ties it to the previous verses. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. First, he talks specifically about reconciliation with a brother or sister in Christ. Another Christian, in other words, someone you're very close to. I heard about this guy that was walking down the beach, praying, talking to God, and God showed up because nobody else was around. And God told the man, I'm going to give you one wish and grant you one wish. The first wish the man asked for was he said, well, we're in California, and I'd love to go to Hawaii, but I'm scared to death to fly. So could you build a bridge from California to Hawaii? God said, well, that's not too hard for me, but do you have any idea the infrastructure that would take and all the things that I would have to do to make that happen? So is there anything else you could think of? The man said, well, me and my wife have been having a hard time lately. So 
could you allow me to understand women and just grant that wish for me? God thought about it for a minute. He looked at the man and said, you want two or four lanes on that bridge? I heard about this senior couple that were sitting on their front porch. They were older and the wife looked at her husband, been married for years, said, I remember when you used to hold my hand. So the husband reached over and grabbed her hand. She said, I remember when you used to kiss me on the cheek. Husband reaches over, kisses her on the cheek. She says, I remember when you used to nibble on my neck. The man immediately gets up and starts to go inside. She thinks he's mad. She says, where are you going? He says, I'm going to get my teeth. <laughs> Raise your hand if that's ever happened. No, I'm just kidding. I heard about this guy named Adam <laughs> that was in a place called the Garden of Eden. And God had just created a wife for him. And so he's asking God questions. He's like, God, why did you give her such a great figure? God said, so you would love her, my son. Why did you give her such beautiful hair? So you would love her, my son. Why did you give her such beautiful eyes? So you would love her, my son. And he said, well, God, why did you make her so dumb? He said, so she would love you. Sometimes... And all the women said, we're talking about marriage next week. Don't worry, okay? <laughs> Anybody that's been married, and this is just the easiest relationship to compare it to, understands that reconciliation, even with the person you're married to, is very difficult. Extremely difficult. Looking at the person you pledge to spend the rest of your life with and saying, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Can you forgive me? Can we just move on? I just want to move forward is very difficult. In other words, in our closest relationships, it's so hard to reconcile, right? Jesus says, when you're at odds with a brother or sister, you should seek reconciliation. You should seek to restore things. Now, I would encourage you to go read Matthew chapter 18, which talks about forgiveness and reconciliation and actually gives us kind of the system to go through where you go one-on-one -on -one first, then you take another brother or sister with you kind of as a mediator. It eventually gets to the point where you just can't get along and you can't make up and restore things. Uh, you call the elders of the church and they act as mediators and they help you work through something with a brother or sister. But reconciliation, let me give you a definition, is defined as the restoration of friendly relations. So, when I say reconciliation, I don't mean that you're going to be best friends with someone necessarily after you make up with them in the sense. It's not that you're going to be hugging all the time. It's not that it's going to be the way that it always was and you're going to text each other all the time or you're going to allow someone back into your life to cause drama. Or in other words, you're not going to be putting your teeth in to nibble on somebody's neck. Y'all know what I'm saying? But it's that you're going to get to a place where you have a healthy respect for each other. You get to a place where you release them. You get to a place where, this is a good definition, you don't allow them to live rent-free in your head any longer. 
and you move on or allow them to move on. Jesus says, when we find ourselves worshiping God, one of the first things that we need to do is we need to reflect on and take inventory of the relationships that we have with other people. We see this theme all through the Bible. We see husbands, make sure you're treating your wife right and your relationship's good with her, or I'm not even going to hear your prayers is what God says. So if you find yourself at church worshiping, specifically it says when you're getting ready to make a sacrifice, so if you're going to tithe or you're going to give, and I don't have time to get into all that. I read some incredible stuff on that today and how generosity is tied to our relationships with other people. But you realize you've got something between you and a brother or sister in Christ. You're supposed to leave immediately. We'd be dead today if we followed this at Rep Church. We'd have 20% attendance. If everybody in here really took inventory and said, I don't think I'm right with everybody in my life. I need to go get some things straight before I come and worship God. Have you guys ever been down the salad dressing aisle? and seen Italian dressing, like good Italian dressing, and how it separates the oil from the water, and all the spices that are in the Italian dressing fall to the bottom with the oil, and then all the water and other things are at the top. And before you eat that salad dressing, what do you have to do? You have to shake it up to get it to go together, right? So you can pour it out on your salad or whatever it is you're eating. Well, if you set that salad dressing down, what inevitably happens over a period of time again? It separates again. Jesus does not want us to be Italian salad dressing. Jesus wants us to be mayonnaise. I'm sorry, I talk about food all the time. It's just Jesus wants us to be mayonnaise. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus wants us to be mayonnaise. Mayonnaise has some of the exact same ingredients, oil and water and mayonnaise, with one difference, there is an emulsifier that is egg. The world is Italian salad dressing. They are divided, more divided than I've ever seen in my lifetime, in my short 43 years of life, and I dare say in yours too, no matter how long you've been here. Social media has exacerbated this, and our culture is at a place where if you're not with me, you're against me, I'm not going to have anything to do, and the gap is getting larger and larger and larger. God's people are different. We come together, and we have the emulsifier of the cross, the emulsifier of a spirit-filled life to lead us. And to quote what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with salt and light, the church is supposed to be a city on a hill in the area of reconciliation. The world should look at us and say, how do they get along? I mean, what? how is Rev Church doing this? They just bought a movie theater in town. How are the people from Fairfield getting along with the people from Crossville? They haven't killed each other yet. It's a miracle! You know how? The cross. The thing we have in common is He took us all into His family when we were wretches. Reconcile with your brother or sister. He then gets into the last couple of verses on this and He changes something. Notice the slight change in what He's speaking to. He says this in verse 25, 
settle matters quickly with not your brother or sister. This is the first time in this passage he changes and switches it to your adversary, which could include people that don't know Christ. And listen to how this guides us. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So he talks about reconciliation with an adversary. I don't know if you guys have ever uh, read any of the history about Winston Churchill or any of his biographies, but he's a fascinating character. He led England during World War II. And uh, uh, he had someone that was one of his greatest rivals in Parliament by the name of Lady Astor. Winston Churchill and Lady Astor were at each each other's throats almost his entire career. One time, uh, Winston Churchill was in Parliament. Lady Astor walked up to him and said, Mr. Churchill, if you were my husband, I would put arsenic, which is poison, in your tea. And Winston Churchill replied, if I was your husband, I would drink it. It's the kind of stuff they said to each other. One time they were at a party for all the elites uh, in England and Winston Churchill had had a little bit too much to drink and Lady Astor, the story goes, walked up to him just indignant and said, I cannot believe you are drunk. And he says back to her, I cannot believe you are ugly. But I'll be sober in the morning. It would have benefited them greatly to take a page out of Jesus' words right here and, and tried to reconcile instead of throwing barbs at each other because all they did was cause headaches for each other during their entire careers and lives. Jesus is pointing out here something that we all need to understand. How can I say this? I think I said it this way in the first service. Being right with God is what justifies you and saves you. But clearly, being right with people is part of what sanctifies you. If you want to become more like Jesus, you have to be right with the people in your life. In other words, you cannot say you are good with God and not be good with people. You cannot come to church and act like you're Jesus Jr. and have multiple people in the community you live in say you're a crook, say you're a liar, say you treated them poorly. You have to take inventory of the relationships that you have. Jesus says, again, not speaking about Christian brothers and sisters that may offer you grace that typically when you reconcile with them, it goes something like this. Man, I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to hurt you either. I love you. I love you too. I'm so sorry. And you make up and you're good. He's talking about lost carnal people. And if you don't settle things quickly with them, it could get out of hand. They're going to get every penny. They're going to get every bit of vengeance. and They're going to get everything they can out of you because they don't even know Jesus. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, once the lawyers get involved, 
is when it gets really messy and there's no turning back in a sense. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. You better settle it quickly or you may pay a very big price. He's also saying, keep in mind, that your witness for a lost person is much more important than going to court and fighting over whatever it is. He's also saying that when you have an adversary that doesn't know Jesus, make sure that you don't have, as the book of Ezekiel puts it in a very very visual way for us to picture, blood on your hand when you stand before God one day because you cared more about suing somebody or going to court with somebody over $5,000 than you did about them meeting Christ and being a witness for God. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Then getting them back. Make sure you're that city on a hill. So practically handle things as soon as possible so it doesn't hurt the testimony of the church, hurt the testimony of Jesus, or you don't pay a high price because you're dealing with someone that doesn't even know Jesus. The book of Corinthians talks about how Christian brothers and sisters aren't even supposed to sue each other. So that's why when he talks about brothers and sisters, he didn't even talk about court. He talks about just making up when you're in worship, right? But when he's talking about lost people, he says, be careful not to go to court. You pay the price. I'm going to give you a chart, and we're going to add to this chart every single week during these six antitheses. Go ahead and put it up there, guys. And what we're going to give you is the command that Jesus is referring to And then we're going to give you the grace principle or the action summarized in how we're supposed to apply it to our lives. So today is do not murder. Uh, We'll put that one. Yeah, do not murder. And we'll have five more after this. And then the grace principle is uh, don't allow anger into your heart and make sure you're seeking reconciliation in all of your relationships. That's the antidote for it. Now, don't miss next week. Because next week, I didn't have time to go over this this week, but next week, we're going to talk about lust. And it's going to be awesome, okay? Y'all looking forward to that? I got a joke I wanted to, no, I'm just kidding, okay? So next week I will, though. We're going to talk about lust. And next week, more specifically, in every one of these antitheses, you're going to see Jesus talk about the heart, 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 everything on the inside, the inside, the inside. Next week, I'm going to break down for you the three parts of man and how it comes together. We're going to talk about lust specifically, but we're going to talk about how we all have a spirit. We all have a soul, which is our mind. Our spirit is our heart. And we all have a body, which is our flesh. We're going to talk about how Jesus ties lust to all that. And I really think from that, you're going to be able to take anger and plug it into it. So make sure you don't miss next week as we go through this. We did a little bit of this during our spiritual warfare series at the end of last year where we talked about the three parts of man and how they apply and different things like that to spiritual warfare. But this next week, we're going to talk about how it applies to the antithesis and how we can get closer to God and apply these grace principles to our life. Make sense to everybody? Say amen. Hey, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I pray for myself. Uh, Lord knows every single one of us struggle in this area uh, unless we're... <laughs> I don't know, laying in a hospital bed on a ventilator or something, man. We all struggle with anger in some way, shape, or form. And uh, God, I know there's been moments where I've kind of thought, well, I'm not as bad as them. Uh, But God, you're making clear here that even a little bit can go down inside of us and roots of bitterness can grow out and cause all kinds of sin. So Lord, just help me. Help me when I'm driving. Help me in my relationships. Help me as I'm doing this renovation at the church. 
not to freak out, not to say raka, not to say you fool, not to call people's intellect into question or their character into question and help me with my anger, God. I pray for us that we would be a church that's different. We would be mayonnaise in this world and not Italian salad dressing. We would seek reconciliation and be a people that mobilizes together in order to move a vision forward. Even with all of our differences and all the things we disagree on, we agree on the main thing, and that is Jesus Christ is Lord. We love you, God. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.